Welcome back to Table Radio. This is a continuation in our fall sermon series on the Ten Commandments, Live a Life of Rescue. This sermon on the Ninth Command, Do Not Bear False Witness, was preached by Anna Spray on Sunday, November 13th. God of creation. Uh, Let's turn to Matthew 5. If you have your Bibles in front of you, make this taller. Uh, We are on the Ninth Commandment, friends. We have almost gotten all the way through the Ten Commandments, and soon it will be Advent, and I can't even believe that this is happening. (laughs) The fall is coming through fast and furious, and uh, and here we are on command number nine, and we're going to (laughs) turn, because the original is fairly short, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look at verse 33, if you have that in front of you. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head. For you cannot even make one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know, guys. (laughs) This commandment is a little bit like Pandora's box. I feel like once we start examining all the intricacies of our speech and how we relate to one another, because speech is our main currency in how we relate to one another, we can get lost in the weeds pretty quickly. Not lying, okay, that I get. And it was interesting, as always, to hear what the kids think, right? Because they wrestle with these decisions too. How do we be faithful in our speech to one another? But when you look to Matthew chapter 5, which is Jesus' elaboration on the ninth command, um, oath-taking, white lies, accidental mistruths, when you start analyzing all the parts of our speech, uh, we can get kind of lost really quickly. And we can err either towards legalism or towards total free reign. Um, And so we want to avoid those two extremes. Commandment number nine states, do not give false testimony against your neighbor. It's another simple shall not, the fourth one in the series, with no qualifiers, Um, And in the original Hebrew, this is forbidding uh, lying, giving false testimony in court is is, is a large application of this for sure, Uh, uttering vain or exaggerating words against a sister, a brother, or a neighbor. It is clear that the people of God are to have no part with bearing false witness because such action leads to suffering and injustice for others, so we want to prevent that. As I was thinking about this series and all that we've been discussing together and all that we've been learning together, it just reminded me of the fragility of human life and human relationships, Uh, that really when you start probing into the depths of these commandments, you realize how tenuous this whole experiment of human covenant and relationship is. God is trusting us with care and stewardship of one another. 
He's trusting us with relating to each other with our words uh, in spite of the fact that there's a million ways in which that can go wrong. These laws are given as a guide to help us handle each other with care. And in his reframe of the Ten Commands, Jesus elaborates this further to include vows. Um, And some of this may not make sense to us, so I'm going to have to explain a little bit of the background. Because we keep going back and forth between the original, Exodus 20, and Matthew 5. Because Matthew 5 is Jesus' own re-giving of the law. It's a pinnacle moment in his ministry where he further sounds out all the implications of what the original command set down. He's kind of feeling out all the details, all the what-ifs that maybe people were left wondering about. So he takes this original injunction against lying, and he expands it to include more of our speech. And for our ancestors, oaths were a common part of their everyday speech in a way that they aren't for us today. Uh, Oaths were taken in God's name only. Uh, You can see lots of examples in the Old Testament of this. And it showed that um, by citing God's name, they were trying to affirm something important and something true. Uh, Somehow citing God's name to a statement you would make would give it added weight. And um, this would be used to resolve disputes or seal or confirm agreements or covenants. Somehow to affirm the truthfulness of what was being said. Now, it was also common historically for people to take vows swearing to pay God something in return for his favor or blessing. Uh, In 1 Samuel... Um, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, vows that if God would grant her a son, she's experienced long infertility, and she's, she's really desiring a child. She says if God will grant her a son, she will devote her son to God. He will become a Nazarite, which is kind of the equivalent of a monk. And God does indeed give her a son, and she fulfills the vow, bringing Samuel to the temple and giving him over to Eli, the high priest, to be trained and devoted to service to God. Now, this was obviously a positive example of taking a vow, but there was a lot of foolish ones in the Old Testament as well. But the idea is that in the ancient Near East, if you swore by someone, so by God's name, by Caesar, whomever, you were invoking that person as a corroborating witness to the statement you were giving. If you swear by God, God is a witness to the truth of your statement. He is affirming it. However, it was also believed that God would judge against you if your words were found to be untrue. So it's a bit of a risky gamble, right? (laughs) I swear by God that this is true, and I'm kind of crossing my fingers that it is, because otherwise God's going to come and judge me afterwards. If you invoke the name of the one whose witness is reliable and trustworthy, you at the same time were acknowledging you could be held accountable for these words. Agreeing that you expected to be judged by God if you were found out to be telling a lie. So this got really complicated. And Jesus is speaking out against it. If we always have to cite another authority to guarantee the truthfulness of our own words, how do we have any credibility with each other? How do people ever come to trust what we say if we always have to look to another authority to confirm our own words? 
In Jesus' day, this got more complicated because Jews would flip this around. And if they had trouble telling, if they had trouble telling the truth, as we all do at times, in order to guard themselves against being found guilty of swearing falsely by God's name, they decided to swear citing everything but God. So they would add force to their promises to make their words more credible. But they were too afraid of God's judgment to swear by his name. So instead, they would swear by heaven or by earth or by a rock over there. (laughs) It just became kind of this speech device that they employed to say, I'm being honest here, I'm telling you, and I'm really hoping it's going to work out for me. But it demonstrates that we all commonly use speech to deceive and manipulate Um, maybe to influence each other, maybe even unwillingly. But our speech can become so easily corrupted by our own devices. And this is why in Deuteronomy 23, God warns, whatever you utter with your lips, you must be sure to do, he says, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. (laughs) Put your money where your mouth is. Jesus is in keeping with the original law of Moses as he is addressing the issue of frivolous or deceptive speech. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? I'm not sure what a modern equivalent would be today. Maybe it's like a pinky promise or like knocking on wood. I know people like to do that. Um, We have our own superstitious way of reinforcing our words. I know when I was growing up, my mom used to get on my case because I was a bit of an exaggerator. Like, middle child, need a little bit of attention. Nobody's listening to me. So my stories would get more grandiose and the, the volume of my voice would get louder and, you know, gesticulating wildly because I wanted to be listened to, right? We all have our own ways of communicating to one another. And and there's a surface communication, but there's also unspoken communication as well that's happening. We should let our no be no and our yes be yes. I shouldn't let my desire to please others force me to say yes to someone when I don't want to do the thing they're asking me to do. And you shouldn't have your automatic answer always be no when you have no intention to sticking to that either. Our our motivations, our heart's desire, should line up with the words that we communicate with our mouths. Our words affect one another and they hold weight. My words have effect in your life and vice versa. And this is where I get really nervous. (laughs) Because I can't believe God has trusted us this much, right? Vocabulary, communication, verbiage is our main currency of relationship with one another. And it's very susceptible to our own sinfulness, our own devices, how we're feeling in the moment, our own insecurities. It so easily gets complicated. And taking oaths might not be a common figure of speech for us today in the same way, but we still take oaths all the time. It organizes our civil life, right? We take oaths of citizenship. Uh, We take oaths to be married. We take oaths to be a parent through a child in adoption. Um, People take oaths when serving in the military or when giving testimony in a court of law. Still today, we are legally bound by our words. And the truth of our own statement lies upon us. We are accountable for what we say to each other. And that's still what the law depends upon today. 
Our words are the substance of our relationships. Uh, you know if you spend any time with kids, <laughs> they remember, well, sometimes their own version of what you've promised to them or the answer that you've given them. Uh, they're keeping a constant memory of all that you've communicated to them. And they will always remind you, they will soak up what you've said and pair it back to you, every promise made in haste, every unplanned consequence, every misspoken reward, and they never let you forget it. <laughs> Being a parent is exhausting. Um, as we relate to each other, we continue in this back and forth, promising and answering to one another, upholding our words or letting each other down. We are accountable for both what we say and what we don't say, for what we think and what we promise to others. And the success or failure of human relationships rises or falls based on our ability to communicate clearly and truthfully with one another. God help us. (laughs) This is not easy. Uh, Not easy at all. You know, I've been married nearly 20 years, and my husband and I are still negotiating how to communicate with one another clearly in a way that upholds the other, doesn't make the other feel small. It's tricky. Many times in Scripture, we're warned of the danger of becoming a forger of lies, which leads to mischief and evil. Scripture is real about the fact that lying has tangible consequences causing real pain and suffering for others. And whether we lie from purpose or from ignorance, the result is the same. Our words can harm or they can heal. And the scripture is resounding in the fact that God is a person of his word, and we are meant to be also. So learning to love our neighbor means we learn to speak the truth as best we can at every opportunity. We commit to watching what we say and submitting our speech to God, and that is our responsibility. But what do we do when the tables are turned? What do we do when people speak falsely against us? Um, I had this experience a few years ago. I mean, you know, life and ministry is tricky, guys. (laughs) Working with people all the time is complex. And I had a situation where somebody basically gave a false account of a conversation they had had with me. And, and I went straight to the person and that was lied to, and I, and I tried to clear up the truth, and it kind of didn't work. And then I went to the person who lied about me, and I tried to clear up the truth, and it didn't work. And I, I was running around and, like, so frustrated trying to clear up the misconceptions and the lies that had been spoken. And it was a really a, a teaching moment for me because... If people want to believe something false about you, they will. (laughs) They just will. And you can't defend yourself against every false accusation. All you can do is try to live your life with integrity. And people choose to believe about you what they want to. Um, And so it, it taught me a little bit about the issue of our own preconceived notions of one another. And are we willing to lay that down? and be willing to learn about each other and discover one another, not make assumptions before we've asked the question and provided space and opportunity to learn. When Jesus had others speak falsely against him, he had a few different reactions. 
In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus heals a man who is demon-possessed, and the Pharisees accuse him of working with Satan. They say, you're, you're in league with Beelzebub, they say. And the text says he knew their thoughts, and he responds to them clearly, citing scripture and speaking in parables. And it doesn't really change anything. <laughs> the Pharisees still oppose him. He, he's clear in his answer to them, but it doesn't actually change their mind. After he's arrested in Matthew chapter 26 and Jesus is on trial before the Sanhedrin, he remains silent until the high priest charges him under oath to answer, are you the son of God? And he answers in the affirmative, and then they accuse him of blasphemy. Literally can't win. And in each instance, you see that Jesus is calm, he provides an answer, but he doesn't panic. He speaks the truth, and he ultimately pays the price for doing so. In the book of Acts, the disciple Stephen is brought before the Sanhedrin also. Uh, There was false testimony against him that he had blasphemed against Moses. And to answer the charge, Stephen launches into this long speech retelling salvation history and, and trying to you know, lay the foundations to cite his case, and, and um, he's stoned to death in response. It's quite clear that the Pharisees had already made up their mind about what kind of a person Stephen was, what kind of a person Jesus was. It didn't really matter what their response was. The New Testament is full of references of the disciples and Jesus himself condemned because of the false testimony against them, and they suffered death in spite of their innocence. But they didn't fear the consequences of telling the truth, even as others were speaking lies about them. It's interesting to me that today we've created a new word called truthiness. Is anybody familiar with this term? That something that isn't necessarily true but has the feeling of truth This is how complicated we've gotten, guys. This is where we are. The quality of seeming or being felt to be true, a feeling, even if not necessarily true. Not only can we not agree on what the measure of truth is, because all truth is relative, if you didn't know, we can't even call truth truth when we see it. It could be true, it could be truthiness. Who really knows? So how can we be truthful in a world where diverse views often cannot peacefully coexist? If I believe something different about the world than you do, how can we come together? How can we find the truth when there are so many diverse voices shouting at us to believe one opinion or another? And is it true that a virtuous society arises from individual choice? I'm not sure. And if so, how do we commit to choosing what is good, what is right, and what is truthful? The Bible says that truth and honesty build trust between people. Can we build trust with one another, speaking the truth at all times? Lying certainly has negative consequences, but sometimes it is honestly easier to lie to each other than to tell the truth. We know this. We've all been in that circumstance. You know you have to say the uncomfortable thing to somebody, and you don't want to say it. I face this all the time. I'm an admitted people pleaser. I hate saying no to people. And working with Andy has been such a gift in my life. (laughs) Because Andy is the easiest person to say no to. (laughs) 
He's made it so easy. He's like, I see on your face, you don't want to do this, you don't have to. It's so great. Because I have such a heightened sense of responsibility. It's been a really healthy learning process for me. Not all of our speech is helpful or profitable for the betterment of society. We know this. <laughs> the internet literally bears witness to this every day, right? It grows and feeds and, and perpetrates based on our verbiage that is unhelpful and unprofitable. Exaggeration, gossip. There's a lot of bad speech out there. At the heart of this question is the question of our word, our ability to communicate. Can people trust the words that we say to them? Can we mean the words that we say? This command is given to protect speech in the community of God, just like the two preceding commandments were to protect sex. The trustworthiness of what we say is as important to a community's welfare as, as the trustworthiness of our temperament or our morals. Discipleship is all about how we speak to one another, how we treat one another. And by guarding the use of God's name and swearing oaths, Jesus seeks to just clear out a lot of the crap <laughs> and make our speech simpler, less exaggerated. Can we just communicate? Can our yes be yes? Can our no be no? Can we be clear and honest? Because we rely on speech to sustain relationship, to create understanding, to allow for me to know you and you to know me, to let ourselves be known, it is essential that our speech is safeguarded. We see this in our civil life together, right? People utter oaths to, to swear in a court of law. And Jesus wanted to, us to examine our participation in those structures. We shouldn't be quick to take an oath simply to conform to societal pressure, especially if we suspect we might not make good in our word. I shouldn't promise something that I can't fulfill. And I need to be careful about that. We should mean what we say and say what we mean. And if we are truthful in our speech, we should not fear condemnation or backlash. There's a bit of um, a show and a tell here, right? If I'm known to be someone of my word, people feel that they can trust me, that starts to establish a good, not only good relationship, but a good reputation, right? It starts to build a comfort and a safety within a community structure. We cannot serve as the warranty that provides the validity of our words. God is ultimately the one who holds the key to our future and the key to our lives. I think that's what Jesus was trying to get at in Matthew. Don't swear by heaven. Don't swear by earth. God's in charge of those things anyway. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be transparently honest. When we promise to be somewhere, we should be there. When our answer to a request is no, we should stick with that conviction. When we make a commitment to one another, we should seek to fulfill it as best we can. 
This is how the bonds of trust and friendship are forged, how love between each other can be fostered. This little tiny command, as it gets fleshed out and lived out, becomes so all-encompassing. If I'm careful, I won't overcommit myself and let someone down because I'll be aware of my capacity and I won't make promises I can't keep, which prevents me from my friends resenting me too. We love God well and we love each other well by bearing his name, honoring him, and being trustworthy in what we say to each other. Showing good faith towards one another by avoiding doing things that can hurt each other and cause anger to fester and grow among us. What we say, what we promise, doesn't only impact my reputation, it also impacts God's reputation. You know, we talked about this a few commandments ago with honoring God's name, keeping God's name, bearing God's name in the world. It's not just my reputation that suffers, it's God's reputation. And that's a big responsibility. Bearing false witness against another person is destructive to that person. They suffer damage to their credibility, their reputation, possibly their career. We can cause real destruction to one another. In a wider sense, false witness is also destructive to our society that that has a legal system that is based on telling the truth. (laughs) Justice can only function if witnesses can be relied upon to tell the truth. That's the whole underpinning of our justice system. Without the truth being told, chaos ensues and the innocent can suffer. It's incumbent upon all of us to practice and learn how to best communicate clearly, honestly, and simply. And if our words can line up with our actions, that begins to foster trust and love and friendship between us. Remember that the Ten Commandments are all about sustaining a loving relationship, first with God and then with each other. These laws are ultimately about love. How to build love. It's such a weird thing, isn't it? Because when our society talks about love, it has nothing to do with (laughs) law-keeping. But that's, that's what the Bible tells us. These laws lead to love and how we can be faithful. True freedom is a condition of the heart when we are bound to God and to each other in bonds of love and trust. And living in the way that the Ten Commandments stipulate releases me to be a person made in the image of God the way I was created to be. Not choosing my own path, not causing broken relationships, broken hearts, hurt feelings, but to be free to live as God intended me to. We can enjoy truth between each other. We can trust each other, and our securities can melt away. We can help each other in eliminating anxiety. If I can be truthful with you, you don't need to worry about what am I really thinking about you. We can feel secure because we are all trying our best to be honest and loving with each other. And that anxious inner voice can quiet down when we enjoy truthful, 
loving, sacrificial relationship. When we're oriented towards God and each other and not seeking our own self-fulfillment. Because we are all worthy of giving and receiving truthful friendship. God created us for this purpose. To know God, to enjoy him forever, and to enjoy each other. This is what God is offering to us, friends. In these ten words that he set down, he's holding before us loving covenant relationship and asking us if we want to partner with him. As he writes his law in our hearts, we can become better, kinder, more trustworthy people. The life of Christ can begin to well up within us, and we can bring the beauty of Christ to a world full of darkness and brokenness. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, your law challenges us week by week to live a different kind of life. To dig down deep. To examine ourselves fully. To see where we've misrepresented ourselves. We've misrepresented you. Where we've spoken falsely, where we've spoken in ignorance. Or, or spoken too quickly, Lord, we ask your forgiveness. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would make us secure enough in you to seek to be people of the truth. That we would seek to be comfortable with telling the truth, to be honest with one another and with you. And we pray, Lord God, that you would give us the confidence that we need to do so. And we pray for our community, Lord, that this would be a place where we would be known to speak truthfully to one another, that you would build up those bonds of trust and love between us and between us and God. We ask this in your name. Amen. Blessed Father, Son, Spirit, blessed God, be those shadows may surround Blessed are you, O God. Blessed are you. Thank you you for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, BC. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by the Preparation EP, written and arranged by Coco Relieve, and can be found at thetablechurch.bandcamp.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca. We rejoice in the gift of your love. Blessed God.